Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, Defending Mother Earth and Stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline, a 303-mile natural gas pipeline spanning from West Virginia to Southern Virginia and possibly into North Carolina, into the heart of the Okanichee Band of Saponi Nation. We'll speak with a longtime indigenous activist that has been at the forefront on trying to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone elk in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a Kanee blows to the Bahu drum, it's the warriors who are marching. Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the traditional homelands of indigenous peoples throughout the areas known today as West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina, where the $6.6 billion Mountain Valley Pipeline, a 303-mile fracked gas pipeline spanning from West Virginia into Southern Virginia and possibly into North Carolina, into the heart of the Okanichee Band of the Saponi Nation, continues to be built. The Mountain Valley Pipeline Southgate portion, however, has undergone recent changes that will still negatively impact Native American nations, communities, people of color, and poorer communities in South Virginia and into North Carolina. It's estimated once fully operational, the Mountain Valley Pipeline would transport 2 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day and generate greenhouse gas emissions equivalent to 37 coal plants annually. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is owned by the Mountain Valley Pipeline LLC, which is a joint venture consisting of several oil and gas companies, including EQM Midstream Partners and Next Extra Capital Holdings and Con Edison Transmission, to name just a few. Since 2022, the Mountain Valley LLC has amassed more than 300 violations of environmental laws and they continue working to pressure indigenous peoples, people of color and poor whites out of their homes and lands in order to acquire those lands for pipeline and compressor station construction purposes. If development continues, indigenous sacred sites, lands, ancestors, and more are at a continued risk for permanent loss and destruction. Our guest for the hour has been at the forefront in trying to protect indigenous people's lands, Mother Earth, and people of color and poor rural white communities from West Virginia to North Carolina while attempting to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline construction, including the Southgate portion. Our guest for today, Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, 
is co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We start today's interview with what is the Mountain Valley Pipeline, followed by an update on recent events that happened in December 2023. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is a, it's a continuous pipeline. So you have Mountain Valley Pipeline, in Mountain Valley Pipeline, Southgate Extension, and it is a 42-inch fracked gas pipeline that's going to be transporting methane from the Utica Shale deposits in West Virginia all the way through West Virginia, Virginia, and then end in North Carolina. And um, just some updates, you know, we have been fighting this whole mainline pipeline for 10 years, but the Southgate portion we've been fighting for six. And they haven't started to build the Southgate portion yet, but they had started to take the land and harass landowners and try to put um, environmental harms on the lands. And so far, we've been pretty successful in keeping the Southgate portion away. Meanwhile, the main line is undergoing millions and billions of dollars of delays because it's going through steep terrain, Um, you know, some of the workers have been hurt in the past and they're going through a lot of our uh, mountains and karst which is like underground caverns that house the aquifers so you know i don't know if the listeners know what aquifer is but that's a underground water system that connects all the above ground lakes and rivers and ponds and streams to the ocean but underground there's the underground water connection system And this pipeline is going to destroy all of that. And, you know, we've been fighting it. But just in December, just this past December, last month, the MVP got approved from FERC to have their, um, I guess, an extension, their uh, permit extended for the um, pipeline to come through Elements, Rockingham, and Pennsylvania County, Virginia. And, you know, they're supposed to get a renewed permit from FERC, which is a Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, every few years or when a new project has to come along. But FERC approved the Mountain Valley Pipeline Southgate. And then on the 29th of December, MVP decided to say, oh, guess what? We're going to build a new pipeline. We're we're going to destroy or cancel the one that we had that's going to come from Pennsylvania County, Rockingham, and Alamance, they're going to leave out Alamance completely and just go through Pennsylvania and Rockingham counties, and they're not going to build a compressor station, which means that they're going to have to either get a compressor station or go in with another company. And another company that's right beside the MVP would be the Transco Williams um, compressor stations which are already there in um, Pennsylvania County, Virginia. So now they're talking about coming to Rockingham, and they're going to stop right before Lower Sartown. And back in May, we did a paddle on the Dan and um, ended right where Lower Sartown is, you know, excavated or, you know, people have put up markings that there was an actual Indian village here. And so not a lot of people in the community know that Sartown exists. I mean, there's a little highway sign uh, marker that states, 
you know, this is Lower Sark Town, but people in the region just don't know what that is. And so now we're, you know, against the wall again, trying to get our regulatory agencies to reissue a new pipeline permit because it's a new project, mm -hmm. but they don't want to do that. And so what that means for us is we need to get the community out, educated, involved, and let them understand what, what's at stake, which is clean water as well as um, any type of air pollutants that will have to be released. And, you know, people don't understand what that means in the community. So when you have this high-velocity pipeline that's coming through, it has to escape some type of gas because if not, it would explode. And so they have these flarings of these pipelines which release all types of chemicals and hazards into the environment. And people don't understand that because you can't see it. You maybe can smell it. But what people don't see is they're inhaling these particles into their lungs. And even though you can't see it with your naked eye, your lungs can feel it. And these particles get trapped in your lungs. And so now you're developing asthma or COPD or even cancer because, again, it's, it's chemicals in your body. So those are some of the bad things that are happening. And that's what we're doing right now is trying to educate people about um, – while we have to stand up and fight together. So that's just the new developments that's been happening with the MVP South Game. Crystal, I'm very familiar with the places that you've been mentioning, but for our listeners that maybe are not familiar with the, you know, the Southern Virginia and North Carolina area and the Native American nations, can you give them um, another point of geographical reference where these places are maybe in proximity to larger uh, cities, for example? Okay, so if, you, if you're looking at a map, and you're looking at the state of North Carolina, you'll see um, Winston-Salem, you'll see Greensboro. Those are the bigger cities. And then you'll see smaller communities like Reedsville or Eden. Eden is a kind of a bigger city um, that's, I guess, north north and, and west, depending on which way do you go. But if you look at the border between Virginia and North Carolina, you'll see Danville. And Danville and Eden and Reedsville kind of make this triangle, which is where the pipeline is going to actually come through. So it's going to kind of diagonal through um, Danville area and come into Eden. And the Dan River, which is the, you know, one of the major tributaries of the Roanoke River, um, comes through Danville and it comes through Eden and then it, it kind of cuts up through, um, I believe it cuts up through um, Stokes County. And so that is the geographical area that I'm talking about. And Saratown, which is one of the Indian villages, is right off of the Dan River, right in between Eden and Reedsville, off of Highway 311. And that, that's the area that, I was, that, that I'm mentioning that is of importance. And to, to make matters worse, the pipeline kind of mirrors the path of the Dan River. And then before they changed the route, it also mirrored the path of the Hall River. So it was just coming on the diagonal. And that is what has been really happening is this pipeline has been mirroring either, you know, trades paths or rivers. And, you know, whenever I see a map, 
that's what I'm looking at are the rivers, right? Because that is what sustains humans, right? Because we cannot live without water. And so, um, that, you know, that, that's just some geographical location. Crystal, when I'm listening to you talk about the proposed uh, Southgate uh, portion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline to be built along the river systems, and I think about, you know, uh, water is life for all life forms, and in North Carolina and, and parts of Virginia and, and elsewhere, um, unlike living in a large metropolitan city area where people just turn on their faucets and the water comes out, um, people take for granted that lo- local water municipalities treat and provide that water. But in certain parts of the Carolinas and Virginias, uh, residents, including indigenous peoples, still get their water from wells, or they still get well water, or use well water. So I was wondering if maybe you can speak a little bit more about the planned pipeline construction running along these river systems and what the further implications are for harming all life that relies on water. Um, so how this pipeline or any pipeline does messes with the risk of water is that, um, you know, when we build things as humans, they're, they're not, they're made at first, they're made out of like some type of man-made material, whether it's steel or plastic or, you know, coated plastic coated with like epoxy it's it's all chemicals right Mm -hmm. and anytime you have like unnatural things that are in the environment you know those things kind of break down um they you know explode leak into the air get into the ground and when those things get into the ground that is where it's possible that human contamination you know we can get this contamination you know whether it's um it spills in the woods and it's by some deer and, you know, you hunt the deer and then we eat the deer. So we're getting contaminated that way by the food or it spills into the ground and um, it comes into the farmer's area and that gets into the, it's either in the water or it is in the, um, the atmosphere. So what goes up, you know, I always have the principle, what goes up must come down. So, whether it's going up into the atmosphere and it's getting rain back down onto the crops that we're eating, that gets into the like genetics and DNA of plants. Mm-hmm. So now you're eating genetically altered food with chemicals. Right. And, you know, over time you can take so much toxins, but after a while your body cannot fight those toxins off. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We're speaking on the construction of the 303-mile Mountain Valley Pipeline and the Southgate portion of the pipeline that, if constructed, will run from South Virginia to North Carolina into the heart of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation, destroying Mother Earth and sacred sites along the way. And now back to the interview. So we're getting this, you know, everywhere possible you can think, whether we're breathing it in, whether we're eating it, whether we're drinking it, whether we're bathing in it. And again, on private wells, like private well water, Um, You may think you have the cleanest water, but water reaches every facet of life. So it will touch every water source that's underground 
or somehow getting into your system. I'm talking about your housing system. So whether it's in your private well, and and the only way you can get rid of like chemicals in your water, such as like hormones or PFAS, which is you know another chemical compound made by uh, Scotchgard or things that make it waterproof, or 1,4-dioxane, which is another big word, which is a byproduct of some type of chemical. Um, you have to have a reverse osmosis filter, and those filters cost you know, anywhere from, you know, 5000 to $10,000. And in this day and age where people are working three and four jobs, that is a luxury that people can't afford. So, again, they have to go, if their water is contaminated, they have to get bottled water. Well, just think about this. This bottled water has been sitting in plastic, right? Plastic is porous. So it could be sitting in a tractor trailer and it gets so hot. So now you got all these plastic chemicals being released into your water and then you know sometimes it could be like you know below freezing so then your water freezes so now you're having this rapid you know shift in temperatures because again you don't know what the condition of this water has been in so now you have all of these chemicals in your body and people don't think about that right like they think they're safe when you're in your home like I know I have this false sense of security that when I'm in my home this is my safe place right I'm safe because I'm turning on my water, and it's, since it's in my house, I'm safe, you know? Mm. Or I'm cooking in my kitchen, I'm safe. But that's a false sense of security. And our society has let us get this way. Our politicians have let, us, have let this happen because they are not doing much to regulate the water. They're not doing much to, you know, have these filter systems on these waste treatment facilities or water plants to help give us clean water. To um, tell you the truth, when I found out, when we moved and I found out that we were moving to a city, you know, I started to look up, like, what goes on in wastewater treatment facilities. And I had our water tested, and I found out that our water was three times the level of what, you know, supposed to be in your water, chlorine. We had three times the level we had PFAS in our water. We had 1,4-dioxane, and also we had, like, iron, you know, all of these chemicals in our water that, um, you know, we would never know because it's odorless, tasteless. And I thought I was doing really good by getting a refrigerator that had a filter in it that just only filters out for the taste. It just filters out the chlorine. It doesn't filter out chemicals. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm spending all this money on a smart refrigerator and it's going to filter my water? No. It just made my water colder and uh, odorless, so I'm not smelling the chlorine. And so we got this system put on because you're just imagine you're taking a bath or you're taking a shower. Your skin is the largest organ, and you are breathing it. I mean, you're bathing in this stuff, so you're putting all this stuff in your pores. And no wonder people are coming up with sick, and it's more cancer in the world because we're not thinking smart. We're not thinking like a trying to survive as a human race we're thinking individualistic because we're only worried about ourselves we're only thinking about um you know what's happening in our four walls we're not thinking about our neighbors and again we're not thinking about the nature right like what is it doing to the animals and to the rocks and to the plants all of these relatives that have spirits what is that doing to that community because we're only worried about self and Again, we have gotten so far away from 
you know, our original instructions from the Creator, our natural law of how to be and a way of being, that we're literally self-destructing. And, I mean, that's just crazy. What do you think? No, I um, thank you for that. I appreciate uh, that and certainly uh, agree with you. I'm, when we talk about the Mountain Valley Pipeline, you know, it's a, it's a joint venture between, you know, a handful of companies. But these companies that own MVP LLC um, have their own legacy operations that have caused adverse harm you know, to the environment, to indigenous people's lands. And so I own one of the companies, um, one of the company's uh, pipelines, excuse me, in Pennsylvania actually blew up it back in 2022, where a couple and uh, child suffered burns, right? And people barely mm-hmm. escaped, escaped with their lives. And just on a you know, uh, a settler colonial level within the politically defined borders of the United States, the agency, uh, the U.S. Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration back in 2022 had reported 265 what they call, quote unquote, significant incidents, which is the same amount that was recorded back in 2010 in San um, Bruno, California, uh, the pipeline caught fire and it was a major uh, disaster out here. So your your thoughts and comments about who are some of the companies and, and their legacy of operations throughout the regions in relationship to uh, the struggle to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline? So you're saying who are some? So I will go ahead and tell you yes. that um, Dominion and Duke energy you know they have totally bought into this pipeline those are some of the monopolies right that are around because they have the only electric energy providers in the community i mean there might be a few small ones but duke and dominion are the main ones and um, they're actually some of the main ones that are purchasers of this frat gas and these little projects that are happening around the community, they may seem unconnected, but nobody is looking at the bigger picture, such as in Person County, there is a Duke Energy um, power plant, right? And I believe it's coal-fired. Well, a few years ago, Duke Energy said, oh, we want to switch to natural gas. And I just was like, huh, let me just tuck that piece of knowledge in the back of my head. And six months ago, the county commissioners of Person County approved after overwhelming majority of the community came out and said, we do not want a Duke uh, liquid natural gas facility in our community. It's in the little community called Bahama, which is outside of Durham and Roxboro. Those are the two big cities. And the county commissioners approved it. And now would you just imagine that the pipeline MVP has gone into, uh, I guess, um, an agreement with Duke Energy to provide gas to those facilities. So they have made these plans, you know, years ago, but now it's coming out. And, you know, some of our utility commissioners knew that. Some of our um, politicians knew that. And they were not warning the public because all in all, it is talking about what's the bottom dollar, right? Right. What is going to line my pocket? 
And that's what we're seeing now is this corporate greed and corporate greed for politicians being like, this is what I need. And so, I mean, just horrible, just horrible. Well, I uh, appreciate the response because uh, there's this, you know, compounded settler colonial effect you know, throughout the region where, you know, there was such a, uh, a lot of the legacy of coal mining, right, and, and burning coal to produce energy. And there's the residual effects of the enduring issue of coal ash and uh, the kind of harmful effects that result in the environment and and the water systems uh, throughout the region. And then, um, you know, as you're saying in 2010, right, there's kind of this ideological shift from coal to natural gas, which is what we've been talking about uh, in the context of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And, and there's still that push uh, for, you know, more natural gas. And listening to you, I'm thinking about the struggle over the Atlantic Coast Pipeline and and the, the kind of parallels. And of course, ACP wasn't fully built, but um, still um, lurks in the shadows, if you will, so long as there's a push by energy companies to build more, you know, um, liquefied natural gas pipelines. And one of the things with ACP in that struggle is the pipeline uh, went, was scheduled to go through, you know, low-income areas, predominantly African-American, but white communities. And and actually disproportionately, the route would go through a lot of native communities. And for our listeners, give us a, a greater sense of the indigenous peoples and communities that have been or will be or are being impacted by the pre-existing uh, construction of the MVP, but also the, uh, the planned um, remaining route of the MVP if built. So yes, this pipeline is coming through a lot of low economic white communities, a lot of black communities, and a lot of indigenous communities. Because this is, you know, where our people have resided has been the effects of colonization. So just imagine, you know, 1607 when the first colonizers came here and, you know, they came to Jamestown and then there was this westward push of our people um, to, you know, keep further going, I guess, westward, right? And our people just settled where they settled, you know, whether they were forced on the Trail of Tears or whether they settled in the community and they blended into the community, that is where they settled. And they haven't been able to leave this area because they haven't built generational wealth like our white uh, counterparts who've been here in the community who, you know, took the land from our people who were able to take um, indentured servants or enslaved people and build, you know, off of their wealth. And then they keep using that, right? So they have built up generational wealth over time to help them, you know, with their day-to-day, you know, functions of life, right? Right. And so our people cannot move, and they're stuck in the community um, doing what they got to do, and they have to survive. And these pipelines come in, and they're saying, well, we're going to, what do you call it? Condemnation. It's just another word for we're going to take your land. Um, but you still have to pay the taxes on it. And so now that has disrupted, like, people who are farmers who are trying to, you know, farm for their community or who are trying to farm for their, um, you know, for their way of life. 
And you've just destroyed that community, right? Mm. It's already overburdened, overtaxed with pollution um, from the other two compressor stations that are in the area. And, you know, pollution just doesn't stay in the one spot. Like when you have a big smokestack, it just doesn't pollute that little area. It blows around, so it's not only polluting. I mean, it's polluting everywhere else. And so, um, you know, people can't move, and they keep bringing these things into the communities because they know these communities are, um, what do you call it, they're afraid to speak up and speak out because they're being conditioned to not say a word. And I, I really hate it to say this, but I've seen this in some of our, even our communities in North Carolina, they really like to live that um, proximity to whiteness, hmm. which, um, and you know, some people are going to be like, ooh, that's too too rough, but They've gotten comfortable, right, because the colonizers have given us just enough to be comfortable, right, whether we have nice cars or we're living in these nice subdivisions where we have this air of we're equal, but not really because when it comes down to it, they're still um, doing harms to our community. And because you have been able to rise up out of that hard work that your grandparents did and you left the community, you still have family members who are still there who can't leave the community and you're doing that harm to those people in the community, right, who can't leave. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I really say that our educated brothers and sisters have forgotten where they've come from and even though that they're doing good things in the in the community, like in the world, what are they giving back to their community at home? And that's the one thing that I have brought, right? Since I moved home and saw how economically hard it has been for the people who haven't left. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal cavalier Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We're speaking on the construction of the 303-mile Mountain Valley Pipeline and the Southgate portion of the pipeline that, if constructed, will run from South Virginia to North Carolina into the heart of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation, destroying Mother Earth and sacred sites along the way. And now back to the interview. You know, I've tried to, you know, instill things in the community like bringing back uh, food, right? Like we plant the, the crops and the, the gardens and we ask people if you want, if you're hungry, you can come and pick, pick this. And we just ask for you to volunteer your time to help replant or harvest, right? Like mm. your time is valuable. But, you know, our people have become complacent and looking the other way and allowing these colonizers or dominant government to do this to our community. And we really have to stand up and speak out about it um, and really hold um, our feet to the fire. So I'll give you an example. I won't mention his name, but... He was a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, and I guess he must have got tired of the system just beating down on him, and he actually stood up. And not only did the um, UNC college kind of admonish him, they've, like, taken away his his way to get a, to advance, you know, like to advance his professorship. And so you saw this his comfortability get taken away. And, I mean, he, he's doing really good now, but, you know, he got knocked off a couple of of his, you know, economic 
I guess, benefits, right? And right. so that's what it's going to take is our people are going to have to just be like, okay, you know, I can't be comfortable living in my um, HOA or having this nice, comfortable house. And they're going to have to start standing up and speaking out. Well, you're speaking to um, the notion of sacrifice. And if you have, um, shall we say, navigated or made your way through settler colonial society and, and I don't want to say reap the benefits, but have clawed your way into the kind of material, economic, political conditions of the settler colonial society that gives you privilege over your own community members that, you know, the sacrifice is challenging that um, and, uh, you know, enduring the risk of possibly losing it because that's what I'm hearing from you is that people Mm -hmm. that live in their communities that never left, you know, that is, um, those are their daily lived experiences they endure they're the ones that go out hunt farm that have the relationships you know at the plants the animals and the water systems and you know the coal industry and the natural gas industry which are interlinked and um you know a lot of ways the same uh perpetrators as we've been talking about um but they're the ones that will endure compounded forms of of, of harm because of the legacy of not only destroying sacred sites, but destroying the very land and waters that culturally sustained them. Yes. And so, so with the, the Mountain Valley Pipeline, then, you know, what are, you mentioned FERC earlier, and FERC has a pretty um, nefarious history and I know like with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, um, just as a comparison, you know, they were pretty much backed um, Dominion and Duke uh, joint venture, right, for uh, the ACP. And and FERC was pretty compliant in working with the companies and they were very um, resistant and adamant to the idea of tribal consultation or free prior informed consent, not that FERC should be the agency to implement that. Um, but I was wondering maybe talk a little bit about these major players and and the idea of free prior informed consent. And what does that look like in the struggle to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline? So, it, so the struggle looks like... Um educating our communities right um i will say that there were two tribes in the pipe in the path of the actually they weren't one tribe was in the path of the pipeline one tribe was not they just asserted their sovereignty and they actually took the payout from the mvp now i don't know if they got the million dollar payout but there was contracts that were signed that allowed them to get the the payouts and they were represented by a law firm who says that they do things in the best interest of indigenous people. However, to me, they just ambulance chase folks to get the money. And then these lawyers end up taking a percentage of that money. But what we have to do is we have to educate the community, right? We really have to get back to our values, instilling confidence in our community and really addressing the issues that are happening in our community. And whether you're rich or poor, you can become rich in other ways. Like 
rich in your community. You are rich in your culture. You're rich in your heritage. And we really have to build that self-confidence back up that has been destroyed for the last 530 years. And when we start doing that and we start building our communities up and stop living in this, you know, me, self world, and we start thinking about other things that's in relationship with us, that's when we're going to be able to stop these corporations like MVP because when some harm is coming to our community and we're able to stand up and fight together as a community, we can join other communities like the African-American communities or the low economic white communities and be like, we're standing here in solidarity because we don't want this to happen to you either, whether it's a highway coming through your sacred site or a medical waste facility where they burn you know, medical waste in your community um, or a landfill or any type of those environmental harms is coming into community, um, we will have the, the keys and the tools to help us do that. Um, and, you know, trying to tie in all of these things. That's why I was in Arizona, was to learn tools to try to help indigenous communities rebuild their nations in a good way, not in a dominant, colonized, mirrored version of our government type of way. So when you're talking about um, allyship or trying to cultivate um, allyship, um, not accomplices, and, and not having to cater to settler colonial fragility, but but actually developing multicultural co- coalition uh, forces to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline, the Mountain Valley Pipeline LLC in September of last year, 2023, uh, filed a lawsuit against uh, more than 40 individuals, a couple organizations, right? Appalachians mm-hmm. against pipelines and rising mm-hmm. tide North America, um, attempting to seek $4 million, right? And damaging, mm-hmm. uh, damages, excuse me. And, and this lawsuit is a strategic lawsuit against public participation, also known by its acronym SLAP, right? And, Slap lawsuits are commonly used by corporations, sometimes the state, to really censor and stifle people and organizations' free speech, but also to financially uh, break them, which you know um, yeah. forces people and organizations right into economic struggle and being preoccupied with that as opposed to stopping, as in this case, the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Your thoughts on that? Um, So, yes, we did see those slap lawsuits come. And um, I'm not going to lie, people were scared. People people are still scared to speak out uh, because this corporation, and this is setting a precedent because these corporations are trying to and um, instill fear into people, right? Because not only do these corporations now have um, rights and laws that protect them, but people in nature do not. Even though we have the Constitution that's supposed to protect our freedom of rights, because of how corporate greed and politicians have wanted to line their pockets, we have now given away so much of our freedoms to um, these corporations to do whatever they want to do, and we just sit back and take it, or we have to sit back and take it, and that's why we have to do this community education. Everything is all tied together, voting, 
you know, standing up, fighting for your rights, fighting for the environment, you know, fighting for all of the isms, whether it's classism, racism, sexism, uh, races, all of that. We have to stand together and fight because if we don't, we're going to be taken over as a, I guess, as a society and just be ruled by the mega rich and the elite, which is what they want to do. They still want to have a kind of a enslave us, but enslave us in modern times, right? Right. Where now it's it's going to be attacking our um, class, right? So they want to eliminate the middle class and have a poor class and an elite class, not just a rich class, an elite class. And now we're we're going to either be slaves to the system. Um, and I kind of think of this as all like futuristic books that I have read, like um, what is that? The Hunger Games, right? Like mm-hmm. now I'm looking at the Hunger Games and I'm drawing these symbolisms, and I'm like, wow. I, I could see how that could happen. All these post-apocalyptic TV shows that they have on TV that people love to watch, they don't know that our society is moving towards that. Um, And we're just, you know, being sheeple, letting people do this to us because, again, we're very comfortable in our living situations and we really have to shake that up and, yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Um, that's a good uh, analogy, the Hunger Games, right? Because even the media, prop, uh, the legacy and digital media companies, um, at least the, the larger ones that dominate the industry, really function as corporate and state uh, propaganda and keep uh, people distracted and, and preoccupied with other things that don't relate to, shall we say, the inner workings or operations of the of the companies and the states that are perpetuating this intergenerational harm uh, against life. And um, it, we were talking about the slap lawsuits. You know, there are 19 states that do not have anti-slap statues, and West Virginia is one of those states and i was just curious are you aware of um the individuals and the organizations that are being charged in charged with the slap lawsuit does this originate in the state of west virginia or are these in other states that maybe have anti-slap lawsuits doing um do you know that mm -hmm. offhand well i don't know that offhand but i do know some individuals who have been included in these and it is horrible because um to tell you the truth they you know you're not supposed to talk about it but we you know found out a couple of people who have been in these lawsuits and um like it has limited their participation in you know sit-ins protests you know speaking out because now they have had to become behind the scenes people to do this and i mean it's really unfortunate because these are just people who are just trying to exist and live in a community where this pipeline is coming through and they're trying to, again, save it. And, I, I, and you know, when I'm talking like this, I'm looking at these people who are descendants of um, white settlers in the community who have this land that, you know, was stolen land, and now they are being... Um, you know, they're kind of being colonized by the government. So I'm kind of laughing at them. But again, I'm kind of like, oh, now y'all see how hard it was when y'all came over and took our land. 
and now, I mean, I feel bad for them, but I'm also like, well, now you see. I mean, I will honestly tell you, I've had one of these white landowners, you know, tell me to my face, well, I mean, he was complaining that he was being treated like a second-class citizen. And I was just like, huh, that's kind of ironic, don't you think? Like, y'all still treat our people like we're second-class citizens. Like, you treat indigenous people like we're nothing. But here you are making this statement like you're being treated like second-class citizens. Hmm, do you find the irony in that? While you're still uh, perpetrating uh, a little bit of hatred towards indigenous people. And so, you know... Uh, you know, I, I'm like, I have to be a bigger person and I have to help the, the people in the community because that is what um, is in my heart and is, you know, what is our natural laws is we are here to help um, the creator wants us to help and be good, good stewards of the land. And so I find it a little bit funny that, you know, these are the main ones that are complaining that they're getting their land taken. But again, um, we're educating them in the process of, you know, this is what happened 500 years ago. Now it's happening today. If we don't educate people about the harms and things that are happening, history is bound to repeat itself. And look, it's repeating itself just in a different way. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal cavalier Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We're speaking on the construction of the 303-mile Mountain Valley Pipeline and the Southgate portion of the pipeline that, if constructed, will run from South Virginia to North Carolina into the heart of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation, destroying Mother Earth and sacred sites along the way. And now back to the interview. Well, and I'm listening to you. You know, we haven't talked about, um, you know, all the different Native nations um, getting into the politics, if you will, of state and state recognized, not recognized by the state or federal government, but, you know, communities that still that still live in their traditional people's homelands that'll be, you know, impacted. And, and then, you know, the larger settler colonial legacy of uh, colonization. And then, as you're saying, right, poor, um, poor white folks that are being impacted, you know, feeling like second class citizens. And, and, um, and we didn't talk about like the size and the demographics of, indigenous peoples throughout the area and I bring all that up because I remember you know at an event out here when Russell Means spoke you know he went around in the auditorium he looked everybody in the eye and it was you know a mixed audience native non-native people and he went around and told everybody you're next you're next you're next and he literally said that to every group of people sitting in every row in the auditorium and and when he was done saying you're next, he said, when we're gone, that's you. Yes. And, and that's exactly what you're, you know, uh, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, non-indigenous peoples throughout the region are now, you know, that are economically deprived, white, non-white are now experiencing, um, especially rural white, uh, rural white folks or poor white folks are experiencing settler colonization in different ways that indigenous people have and continue to experience it, but they also contribute to, you know, settler colonialism themselves and don't understand their own 
privilege despite their economic and racial positioning. Yes, you said it perfectly. They, yeah, they don't understand any of it, but we understand it and we have had to live with this um, and, you know, and it's passed down through intergenerational trauma through our DNA and there comes a point where we have to kind of make a cultural shift as an indigenous people to to stop, recognize it, and stop pushing it further into, you know, our, you know, offspring's DNA, but rather stand back together um, and, and do this. And I want to kind of explain that, you know, people always make that statement, the next, we're doing this for the next seven generations. Um, and I've, I always wonder, like, who's do, like, what's the seventh generation? Is that now? Like, I'm always confused. And I had a professor explain it to me. If you put yourself in the center, right, and you look three generations back, that's to your, let's say, mom, uh, mom and dad, grandparents, and then great grandparents. That's three generations. If you put yourself in the center and you look forward, that's your children grandchildren and great-grandchildren, those are the seven generations, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about things in that context, you know, everybody who is a generation just thinks back, we are preparing for the next seven generations. And that kind of puts it in a a different context for me because that's only, that's in my lifetime, right? right? Like I have experienced all of that in my lifetime. And so we are actively helping our communities um, when we're standing up, taking a stand, speaking out, not being quiet, um, and you're actively destroying some some form of oppression put against you, right? And right. people have become real trendy with that word decolonization. But, you know, what does that actually mean? Like, what are you actually doing? Are you decolonizing? Are you gatekeeping? You know, whatever. But we really have to get back to our intrinsic value of ourselves. Um, and that's, you know, how I feel like, when we're standing up fighting for the water, when we're standing fighting for the land, we're fighting for, you know, our relatives, our people, our language, all of that stuff. We're standing there together trying to bring it back to us. And I might have to, I don't have this book in front of me, but I read this really profound statement that talked about our teachings and how we've lost our teachings. And now it's upon us, you know, right now at this time, to reinstill that into our youth because, you know, we've had, you know, centuries of alcohol abuse or centuries of physical abuse or, you know, we've been, you know, seeing that. And now we're, I guess, putting that forward. And so, again, we really have to stop and think, how are we doing this for our community, for ourselves, for our people? Because, you know, we've been pulled apart so much at our, you know, our seams that we we now have to gather back together. I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling, but I feel like it's making a point. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate the response and, and you are making a point. You know, it's important and it's good to hear different indigenous peoples, you know, explain it. Because oftentimes for people that listen to the show that are longtime listeners, right, there's a reaffirmation and, and support of 
different indigenous peoples and different struggles, right? Saying the same or similar things, but in their in their own words, through their own lived experiences, through their own cultural lenses and their own cultural teachings. So, you know, and that's why, you know, we like to talk to indigenous peoples on, that do, you know, this front lines or grassroots work and longtime listeners can can hear those those parallels and the struggles you know against uh, settler forms of settler colonial violence and um, so I appreciate that I know we're almost out of time and mm-hmm. I I wanted to um, give our listeners a, a sense of what they can do to to help but also um, just as a really quick update, I know the um, last year in July, the Supreme Court really cleared the way for the remaining construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. There was the political deal, right, with Joe Manchin agreeing to support um, mm-hmm. the Biden administration's um, IRA package. And maybe you could just uh, summarize that for our listeners, um, or the Fiscal Responsibility Act, excuse me, maybe um, summarize that for our listeners. And then what can listeners do to help stop the remaining plans to build the Mountain Valley Pipeline? Right. So yep, you're right. Last summer, um, Senator Joe Manchin pushed forward this this horrible bill, and he put the MVP, so it was kind of like a little rider that he put attacked onto the bill that said the MVP is needed for critical infrastructure, but what people fail to realize is that Joe Manchin is going to make a profit off of this. He is a coal baron in West Virginia, and he has made his money from the coal mines in the community, and if you don't think he's not getting his pockets lined by this uh, fracked gas methane, pipeline, you are sadly mistaken, and it has influenced politics to push a unnecessary project that was determined unnecessary by the state of North Carolina and also by many environmental laws in Virginia, and they have pushed this pipeline to go through. It has been, you know, passed through the the courts because he put a stipulation on it that it can't be overruled or overruled by the Fourth Circuit Court in um, Virginia, and so the D.C. courts had jurisdiction. So, you know, full steam ahead with the pipeline, and anybody that gets in its way will either get arrested or, or rolled up. But what we can do is we can continue to use our environmental laws to make this a pipeline to nowhere, um, especially in North Carolina, because what they are relying on is people not um, understanding and not responding because there always has to be a public comment period about what is happening in North Carolina. So if a pipeline is coming through, they have to have a at least a 30-day public comment period. So this is why we're educating people. We're doing a water walk in February. So February 17th, we're doing a pipeline walk that's going to highlight Sartown. We're going to walk for four miles from where the beginning of um, where the pipeline is going to cross the Dan River to where it's going to end right in Eden, and we're going to highlight the SAR people because, again, all the people of the SAR town did not leave. They just went into hiding into the right. into the community. And so, again, we cannot erase the history of our indigenous people who were here first, all because a pipeline is coming through. And, you know, again, we're reaching out, having these courageous conversations with people in the community, and, you know, we have that 
as part of the courageous conversation, you know, know when to walk away, like know when people are not there yet and mm-hmm. come return to come back to that conversation. So we have those, you know, rules that we abide by and just let people come when they feel that they're ready. But we keep talking to them about, like, this is not the way to be. Like, again, if you're only worried about yourself, worry about your water. Worry about, you know, cancers or diseases that may harm you later in life. Um, And you can stop that right now. And so that's what we're doing, whether it's cultural education that we're teaching or scientific education or even environmental education, we're teaching that. Um, And what people can do is just become actively aware. Like, you don't have to live in North Carolina to make a comment at one of the public comment hearings. They usually have them online. Or, you know, you can visit our website, sevendirectionsofservice.com, to see what is really happening and how you can become involved so far away or if you want to make that trek out here to North Carolina. So those are some ways that people can become involved and become aware and just know what's really happening. The moment of silence is over. And that was Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She was speaking on the Mountain Valley Pipeline that if fully constructed would run through the colonial states of West Virginia, South Virginia, and into North Carolina, if fully constructed, would result in further environmental damage and the desecration and destruction of sacred sites and more. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests for the hour, Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds, nor the hands that hold the chain.